Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I love the parable that Jesus tells in the Gospel for today. I love it because it's so strange. It's so puzzling and it's so kind of off-putting. But you know, that's the thing about parables. Jesus hardly ever laid his teaching out in what we call doctrinal form. You know, later on in the tradition, that's fine, theologians would express it in doctrinal form, but that's not the way Jesus typically taught. Typically, he taught in these funny stories that make you kind of scratch your head and squint your eyes and and wonder, what's he talking about? Another thing we miss, I think, because we declare these things in such solemn settings, is how funny they are. But imagine Jesus sitting around with four or five people, and he's telling these odd, quirky stories. Many of them depend on little twists and little ironic turns that are quite funny. Well, the one today is a real howler, I think. It's so puzzling and it's so weird and you wonder how could this be in the mouth of Jesus himself? Well, that's the purpose of a parable. A parable is meant to turn you upside down. It's meant to make you think anew about the world. That's why I think it's so appropriate that Jesus taught this way. See, he himself was a parable. Do you know what I mean? He, his own life, tended to turn expectations upside down. That's why the cross itself is the ultimate parable. Well, the story tells today is is similar to, to about a third of the parables that he tells in that they have to do with money and the economic realm. It's a curious thing. Jesus often used the world of, of peasants, of planters and farmers in his parables. But a third of the time, he uses the economic realm. His father, we know from the Gospels, was a tecton. You could translate that as a carpenter, skilled worker. There was a Roman town called Sepphoris, not that far from Nazareth. Jesus and his father might have gone there. He knew the world of money and trade and economics, and it often comes up in his stories. Well, this one is a great example of these economic parables. The protagonist of the story is a real scoundrel. He's called the unjust steward in the tradition. He's a steward taking care of his master's money. He's a money manager, we would say. And according to the story, he's been caught with his hand in the till. He's been caught red-handed, lining his pockets with his master's money. This is the most kind of despicable thing that a trusted money manager could do, take advantage of the person he's serving. The master finds out and he calls him in and he says, your service is no longer needed. I have caught you cheating. I can't help but think of the overtones here of the Enron scandal and lots of people in the news today who are 
probably on a grander scale, cheating people out of their money. Well, this guy has been caught, and the master says, your time is up. Well, now, at this point, he displays how realistic he is. Look, given the economic situation in Jesus' time, this man would be in very serious trouble. There was no unemployment benefits, no welfare system, no insurance system, no social safety net. Someone like this, perhaps middle-aged, dismissed because of his fraud, he'd have very little prospect of ever getting a job. Without a job, without that social safety net, his life was in danger. This man knew right away, I am in very dire straits. I'm in very bad situation. Here's what he says. I can't dig ditches, and I'm ashamed to go begging. I mean, you can hear in his voice how desperate the situation is. So, what's he do? According to Jesus' story, he acts, compounding his immorality. He calls in his master's debtors, the people that he was dealing with directly, and he cooks the books. How much do you owe him? A hundred. Make it fifty. How much do you owe him? Eighty. Make it sixty. And he goes through the whole group, and he cooks the books, ingratiating himself, he hopes, with them. Why? Well, when my master fires me, he's thinking, at least I'll have these people on my side, and maybe they'll take me in and take care of me. Well, you say, it's even more despicable, isn't it? He's compounding his immorality with more immorality, and in a kind of sleazy way, trying to insinuate himself with these people. What a jerk. That's what you're expected to say. What a jerk this guy is. But then, Jesus pulls the rug out from under us. When the master hears about it, what does he say? I admire him. What? You admire him? He's an absolute scoundrel who has been cheating you. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I admire him. Why? Because how clever he is. How canny and resourceful he is. Pretty clever trick that he's pulled. Now, what do we make of it? I mean, is Jesus praising someone for his immorality? Praising someone for being a cheat, a scoundrel? for being a kind of a clever criminal? How do we take this? Listen now to Jesus' own commentary on this story. He says, The worldly take more initiative than the otherworldly when it comes to dealing with their own kind. There's something in the way this man acts. Now, not in the, in the fraudulent side, not in his cheating, but there's something in the way this man acts that Jesus says we can learn from. There's something here we should see. What is it? I think it's this. When we apply this to the spiritual realm, we are in a similar situation to this man. What do I mean? He's been called in. You've been caught. You're in trouble. Your time is up. Christians, the gospel speaks over and over again about God's judgment, about God's demand. The gospels are eschatological. 
That means they speak of the end times. Something is coming. God's judgment's coming. And we, in the presence of that judgment, have to make a decision. You see what the Gospels are saying? We are in some spiritual danger. We're in some spiritual trouble. God is demanding a decision. And we're not always in the best situation. Here's the first virtue of this unjust steward. He clearly perceives his own situation. He sees how dire it is, how serious it is. He doesn't play games. He doesn't deny. He doesn't blame somebody else. He says, I'm in trouble and I know it. That's a great virtue. Apply it to the spiritual realm. God is making on me this infinite demand. I spoke of it last week. God is making this infinite demand that I be ready to live eternal life with Him. God is demanding that I be perfect as He is perfect. What kind of shape am I in? Am I ready? Am I fit? Am I the person God wants me to be? Most of us play games spiritually. We pretend there is no demand from God. We pretend that everything's okay. We deny. We prevaricate. We delay. Like this man, we should know with clarity our situation. That's the first great virtue. What's the second virtue? Christians, once he knows that he's in serious trouble, he acts. He acts. He moves. He decides. He does something. He changes his life. Now, in a sort of ruthless way, yes, and, and Christ is not praising that side of it, but by God, he acts. In this desperate situation, he makes the necessary move to deal with it. So, suppose we have correctly perceived that spiritually speaking, we're not doing that well. Spiritually speaking, we're not where we ought to be. Spiritually speaking, we are far from the perfection that God demands. Do we say, yeah, you know, that's the way it goes. I'll worry about it tomorrow. No, what we're supposed to see in this unjust steward is his action. We must do something now. Now, not tomorrow, not next week. Now we must act. You know, in the old Catholic action movement back before the council, they talked about the virtue of see, judge, and act. It's very simple. It means see your situation clearly. Judge it. Make the right determination about it. And thirdly, once you've judged, act. I think that's what this unjust steward has. He has clarity of vision about himself. He sees. He judges correctly. I'm in trouble. Thirdly, he acts. So we must see, judge, and act in regard to the spiritual Look, a couple of examples as I close. 
Suppose someone, you know, really feels convicted about getting George W. Bush elected president. An important thing, sure, getting someone elected president. He's really convicted about it. He sees, he judges. What does he do? Well, he acts. You know, he collects signatures on petitions. He goes door to door. He answers the phone at campaign headquarters. He talks to his friends. He writes to newspapers. He gets the vote out. He does things. He acts. Suppose you're a young man and you want to be an Olympic champion. Well, you look at your life and your, your body and your conditioning and, and you say, well, I'm not where I should be, you know? You see, you judge, and then you act. You act. You say, okay, I'll get up at five in the morning. Okay, I'll hit the pool by six. Okay, I'll stay in there for four hours. Okay, I'll eat the right foods. Okay, I'll exercise. And I'm gonna do it year in and year out. You see, you judge, and then you act. So, in the spiritual life, when we see the state that we're in, you know, I mean, I, I'm okay, but I, I'm not what God wants me to be. God wants me to be a saint. He wants you to be a saint. So you judge, look, I, I, I've got to change my life. Good. Now, now, you must act. You must act. Let's become a saint. Follow God's will. Do the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Give your life to prayer. Give your life away. Become selfless in love. Yes, act now, not tomorrow. Now, not next week. This is the virtue of the unjust steward. His vision is clear. His judgment is right. And then his action is now. I think in all these ways, Christians, we can learn even from this kind of funny, despicable character. He sees, he judges, and he acts. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.